Jimmy Lewis, and this is Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, the dirt bike podcast where we talk about motorcycle and motorcycle-related products. In episode number 44 of the super-famous Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, sought after by motorcycle enthusiasts around the world, I'm joined by Taco Mike, and we get into recluse clutches and how to tune them. We talk about how they make heat. We talk about, well... Speaking of heat, do you need a thermostat? These are the interesting kind of questions that you can only find answers to right here. Well, you could ask the other guy on the internet, but you're not going to get very far. This show is brought to you by DDC Racing. That's Delaney Drive Components. They're makers of very strong, durable, chromoly, chrome-plated sprockets. If you've seen these things, they look like Swiss cheese, They're super light for a steel sprocket. They last forever. They come with a one-year warranty, and they are built by riders who really care about keeping riding areas open. So if you're interested in some good drive systems parts, check out ddcracing.net. That's Delaney Drive Components. Along with, Climb has been with this show since the beginning, and I really appreciate that. What I like even better is that the gear is super awesome. I've been wearing it since the beginning. Uh, It's evolved a bunch. It's very durable, um, really good fitting. They have features on their gear that are pretty much uh, industry leading. And I appreciate that because that's what I wear when I get to do fun stuff and I'm comfortable and I like almost everything that they make. So if you are looking for a change of gear or you're looking for the best gear, I think uh, you won't be disappointed by trying Climb. So give them a look. And Taco Moto. So you've heard us talk about Taco Mike on the show. He's been a guest host a few times. Taco Moto Co., that's how you find him on the web, sells a lot of the kind of cool and unique tuning products that you need to get your emissions-compliant bike running up to snuff. So if you have questions, he has answers. And he can also sell you the stuff. So if we can't answer the question here, which we hope we can, maybe he can answer the question over there. And he can also sell you the parts that you might need to get your especially KTM or Husky dual sport bike uh, running like a champ. Anyways, it's tacomoto.co. Now, here's the show. Wow. A packed house inside the house here at the uh, Dirt Bike Test uh, Studios office compound. Um, a lot of people out in the field, uh, got a lot to talk about. Um, not a lot of questions, but then the questions started coming in at the last minute. Uh, good to see, uh, Dave Scott, George out there, uh, Grant Polanski. He's probably going to ask us some 500, uh, what do they call that thing? An XCFW now? The new off-road bike? Yeah, he has one. We should get Grant to call in. Grant should call in and then he can Polanski how good that bike is it, it, it's probably really good but he could make it better in his own way uh, so yeah good to see it nate uh delaney from ddc uh we'll talk about ddc sprockets uh clint chu tim gomi <laughs> uh i didn't know they had tvs out in uh ransburg uh garrett's there garrett wants us to talk about betas <laughs> all kinds of Paul Neff, who is my partner at the uh, Jimmy Lewis Off-Road Training Schools through CISPA Cycles, 
Uh, we're going to be doing some classes up in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, uh, last but not least, uh, Taco Mike is here. Mike Spurgeon. Howdy, everybody. Um, so Mike is our uh, special guest tonight. He suffered through a trail ride with me today. Epic. Epic. So good. No, shh, shh. It was, Hang on, I got lost. So. I know you got lost, but that's what happens because it was so dusty. That it was a lot of dust. We rode in. So what do we have out here? What What's the dirt? It's called fesh fesh, poof dirt. Talc. So we rode through talc, rocks, a lot of hoop-de-doos. Hoop-de-doos? Yeah, a lot of hoop-de-doos. That's a ge- ge- geographical term? Hoop-de-doos. That's how I say it. And, and the, just like, it's like the kind of, it's just, I mean, we love riding and we'll go suffer through all that crap to go ride here. So it was good. And we had a, we had a group with us. Um, I don't remember everybody's names because um, I just don't, but um, they're all here tonight because they're buying stuff from Taco Mike. Um, he's, he's literally, he's got a little cart. It's kind of like a taco cart that he pushes like around. It's a cart, yep. Yeah. And, um, and he's going to, he's going to dish out uh, some ECUs, uh, some uh, what other things you got? Like skid plates, skid cards. plates, yeah, all kinds of stuff for these guys. So he he's, he's got his little bell. He jingles his little ding 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 ding. Bike parts bell, yeah. And so they're all here. And we said you can't get them until after the show. You have to come and hang out with us and ask questions, which we have. They were good. And then and then Hans, who's another local guy here, said I don't want to come. And I'm like, come on, Hans. I mean, you're, you're the only one that knows where I live. So I, he says, nah, I've, you know, I'm tired. We went riding through all those hoop-de-doos and all that silt. My eyes have silt in them. And I said, but I got some good tequila. And he's, oh, I'll be there. <laughs> so, so, so we're out here. Um, uh, glad everybody's joining in. Uh, Tech Talk Taco Tuesday is Dirt Bike Test's um, weekly podcast where we talk about motorcycles and motorcycle-related re- products. We can answer nine out of ten questions that you throw at us without referring to a reference manual. I bring in professionals that may or may not agree with my opinion. Um, that's why both of my logos are up on the screen right there. That, that's me, Jimmy Lewis. Um, I'm your host, and I've been doing this stuff for way too long, and I have fun doing it. I don't really care that much. <laughs> so I'll tell you what I really think because it doesn't affect my bottom line. Um, so um, thank you. To DDC, uh, uh, Delaney Drive Components, uh, for helping us out, sponsoring the show. As you remember from last week, we have a code that like, might still work. Get Tech Talk will get you some sprockets, so go get yourself uh, some of the best, lightest, longest-lasting sprockets you've ever used. I use them on my bikes. Um, Mike uses something else, and I said you can't talk about him because that's what happens when we get a sponsor in here. We just it just completely changes the dynamic of the show because you 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 know. Props to the sponsors. Props to the sponsors, but you know, he uses ones that are very similar, just like not totally quite as good. He probably is going to switch after I get through them. But DDC helps us out, Um, and also Climb has been a big big supporter of Dirt Bike Test from the inception. They're back. They're helping us out. Um, I wear Climb gear. Climb supports my off-road riding schools quite a bit, and uh, I like it. I was perfectly comfortable all day long today when I was riding in my wonderful Climb gear. Were you, Hans? Yes, I was. Yep. You had some duct tape on your gear, though. Yeah, I, I tore my kneecap. Out. Tore your kneecap. 
Yeah, because there's because that's the other thing we have here is bushes that don't like you or your gear. Yeah, it, along with the silt and the fesh fesh and the hoop doos and the rocks. Uh, so uh, good times. Um, anyways, uh, so we will have some coming up soon. Not in this show, but soon we're gonna have some pretty cool things that Climb uh, wants to do with this. Uh, show to support us support you um really cool ideas we've come up with and then of course we always have uh kate's real food uh if you want a discount code on quite possibly the best trail snack you've ever put in your mouth um email me and just you have to figure out how to do that on your own i'm not going to give my email address out but it's not that hard it might be my name at my website and then uh, email for a discount code and then blow up Kate's website and she'll send you the most awesome snacks. Um, I got to get Kate in here. She's you gnarly. Know her? You know her, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've read about her. She's gnarly. Like, like gnarly rider or, in Oregon? Uh, no, no. Uh, Idaho. Okay. Yeah. Idaho slash Wyoming. She's right on the, she's up there right on the Idaho Wyoming border. So uh, good to see everybody. Um, that's a little bit of our business. Uh, we are having a great time talking about. We we had like a pre-show meeting that got out of control. Um, we they they we didn't know, think we had enough questions, and now we have way more than we know what to do with. Uh, Mike has a he has two full pages, so we may not get to phone calls. But if you really want to call, like Grant, I know Grant's already trying to call me on my regular number, and that's why I'm going to turn my buzzer off on my phone. <laughs> Could we do that? Could you like do a call? Oh yeah, no, we do it? calls. We have all the technology to do it here. We're 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 the Legit. most. We are quite possibly the most motorcycle um, friendly podcast in Pahrump that's going on tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure about it. Uh, Pahrump Valley of the Dirt People, which I say affectionately because we have fesh fesh and rocks and pricky bushes that tear your gear if you run into them. I go around them all. That's why my stuff looks so good. Okay. Uh, let's see. The first question tonight is the one that uh, came in on one of the posts. Uh, Ryan Shute says, I need some tips on a new Yamaha to make it more stall resistant and easier uh, starting. He wants an ignition and fuel map on a YZ250FX 2020. Um, Ryan, email email Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> email trevor at dirtbiketest.com since he rode that bike and uh ask him what he thinks of it and he's going to say well we didn't have the bike long enough to test we didn't really get the chance to do those maps which is true and then quite possibly um he'll get his hands on one and do additional testing um and get you those answers but doesn't that bike have the power tune app the yamaha power tune the app? power tune app yeah. exactly which is awesome and so you can change stuff the starting um I think if it if the bike's really it's stock stock and it's not starting very good, a lot of times there's a zero position, like you know zero throttle, zero RPM, which aids in starting. Mm -hmm. um, if you have that app, which it's free, you should have it. Try riching it up, like you know go plus four on it and see if that helps the starting, and then go plus you no know, go minus four on the on the fueling on that and see if that helps the starting and see if it makes a difference. And because maybe, I don't know, you didn't tell me where you're at. And, you know, if you're super high altitude, you might want to go minus four. Maybe it'll help. Might be too rich. Uh, you just you just never know. But be, don't be afraid to play with that app. But starting is kind of that zero RPM, zero throttle position is typically um, where it is. And 
Also, if you're having issues on starting, we have found if you get bad gas in your bike, and Mike can speak to this <laughs> from experience from today, today um, if your bike sits around and maybe you don't have the best gas in it, it can affect uh, your fuel injector and your fuel filters and things like that. What do we do to your bike today besides, you know, you had some old bad gas in it? Are we going to plug this? Yeah, we're gonna plug it, and they better come in and sponsor they the sponsor show. This. Or we're gonna we're gonna say we use some stuff. I don't remember what it was called. Yeah, it was this stuff. It was really good. If I could remember what it was called, but we use this stuff. I don't remember what it was called. But if you're watching this, because you're gonna be listening to this like in a year and a half, and you go, "What was that stuff called?" So and if product if this, placement right here. If this stuff were sponsoring this show, I would tell you what it is. But your ears are burning right now, going. Good grief! What is it? It's the stuff that's in front of the camera. So now you now you're pissed off because you have to go. You're listening to this podcast. You're gonna have to go look at the video, and then we would put a link to it and the thing. But you you're, you don't have a link in your ears, and that's the difference between podcast and live video and all this stuff. This isn't free. All this equipment that's sitting around here isn't free. Um, my time is like actually, I should pay you to watch me, and that's probably what a lot of people do. Um, on the internets, they, they actually, they probably, they give their motorcycles away, don't they? To you? No, to, to the, to the fans that watch the shows. Oh, we give they a lot raffle of stuff. Them off. I'm sure we give a lot of stuff away. <laughs> I'm so. sure there's all kinds of swag. <clears throat> so anyway, so this stuff right here, it's actually the, uh, Chevron, uh, power sports and small engine Chevron Tecron small engine and power sports fuel system treatment. And, it's worked. I've, I've had it work in my bikes. We saw it work in uh, uh, Mike's bike today. Uh, it was hard starting and reluctant to run very well. We put a pretty good dose in there, and it ran. And you know, having new gas helps. But a lot of times, so in your bike, a lot of times you have bad gas, and it kind of gets in there. It sits in there. It helps kind of plug, get junk near the injector. And, and like junk, it's like really small particulate junk that you probably can't see, but that's the stuff that these fuel cleaners can take out. So uh, product plug. Okay, take it off the screen. Yeah, they didn't pay enough to have it on there the yeah, whole it's time. Not the, yeah, it's not going to sit there the Done. whole time. <laughs> so what we did on my bike, I had a bike that I was riding today that had, I don't know, probably year-old gas. And I have found on fuel-injected bikes that when you sit around, when, a, when, a, when a, these fuel-injected bikes sit, I used to have this misconception or this thought that it was only the carbureted bikes that would, um, have, you know, the fuel separation issue in the bowl, which is an actual thing. So the ethanol, the light alcohols will evaporate out of the fuel and then you'll be left with the solids and that will gum up your jets and gum up the bowl. That's a real thing. If you have a full tank of gas, that's less likely to happen. You, you, you would have to evaporate all of the liquids away to get those solids in the bottom of the tank. You know, a couple of gallons, it's not going to happen. But I used to think that the injector was immune, a fuel injector bike, the injector was immune to any of the problems where you'd have any, and I'm gonna use the word calcification, which is not correct. It's not calcium that's building up on the on the fine okay, spray. Chris, Chris Real, um, as attention, Chris Real, pay attention to this, and then you can uh, educate, edumacate us on this <laughs> thing, because he's a petroleum engineer. Oh, he can like yeah. chime in here. So, so go ahead. So whatever that, whatever these little de debris deposits are on the, on the orifices, on the output orifice of the injector, I've seen bikes run badly, like my bike today ran badly, and, and it was super indicative of a, like a partially clogged injector. Some of those little spray, they're incredibly tiny little orifices, 16, 12 around, set in a pattern if you've ever looked at the, the front spray area of an injector. And so 
we'll pull those and clean those, and then the bike will run dramatically better, like night and day. So, and, w- and when you better. clean them, when you clean them, you you either have a tool that opens them up and then you can spray cleaner through it, yeah, or you it open up and you can spray cleaner backwards, yeah, through it. Which which for me, I've always found I do it both ways. I usually do it backwards first, and I've done it backwards <laughs> and then put it on a you know on a white cloth, and you can see the stuff a out. little bit of stuff, um, and. If if you're if you're seeing some stuff, your bike is not running very well. Um, in fact, I've I've done it on bikes that have stopped running, um, but it took a long time for that amount. I mean, it, it, the bike was telling you for a long time. My injector is getting plugged. Yeah, power up. and performance go away. It's almost it's, like you're losing compression on a motor over time. So power. Right, and it and it and it, it, it it's noticeable at higher RPM. You know, we're using a lot of fuel, higher RPM. You get a bog and, sometimes. And, and, and bogs on big throttle. That's how you tell your fuel injection your fuel injector is getting plugged. And so it takes a lot to actually see something when you back clean it and stuff. But when you, but a lot of times these cleaners can, you know, the little stuff that's kind of building up there, like you said, calcification, whatever it's called, it, yeah. it, it, it takes, it takes some of that stuff away um, and whatever it's doing to clean it. And uh, I talked to the Chevron engineers in a, in a previous podcast, I explained as much as I could and I'll call it, um, Jimmy terms, you know, which is just like layman's terms. Jimmy Jive. What they they had told me, and and it all made sense, and I've seen I've seen it work, and I have a fleet of rental bikes, and so a lot of them sit for a long times, and intermittently some of my bikes sit for a long time, and since I've been putting that stuff that I would like to say the name again, but I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who's laughing? <laughs> um, I, that, if I, I would, you know, since I've been putting that stuff in there, I had really good results. So if you have some stuff that's better than that, you should send it to me, and then and then we can talk about how I can talk about it too. So I'm just I'm a whore today. Let me jump in and say two things about this guy with the Yamaha. So um, Yamaha has some pre-made apps that you can go on their website and download, and then you can upload those into your bike on the phone. I know that they may be trying to. Uh, there'll be more out for the twenties, but the previous versions, the Yamaha power tune app, you can, you can basically custom tune, get custom maps that Yamaha has developed. And then you could load those into your bike. Yeah. Each, each bike has a couple of, um, uh, and there's, name there's, them. there's, there's well, like a Chad Reed it, map and there's uh, different oh, ones on their, on their website. Yeah. The Yamaha. Yeah. Huh. I, I know they, they have one that's like low power, you know, or, you know, high power or freer revving. And they have like, usually when we go to an intro, they give us three or four that are they, they've developed that they kind of want us to, you know, tell people about. Try out. And then we can share them. But they also have some that are on, you know, kind of built into the app, you know, like, you know, they have some that are like drivability or templates, yeah. basically. Yeah. And it's a great place to start, but um I don't I don't think they have one that says better starting. <laughs> there's there's no way that, that bike start I, I promise you that Yamaha is selling a bike that in their opinion sells Starts perfect. I'm sure, yeah. So, but, you know, depending on your conditions and stuff like that, uh, As you a, can... He, it's a 20, so he's probably not got a, a clogged injector. No, unless he got bad gas. He could have bad it, gas. Bad gas can do that. You know, you get a lot of, you get some water in the gas. He could be in a humid environment and he was, his tank was hot once and then, you know, everything got warm and then it sucked in some moisture and, you know, washed it. Who knows? Lots of stuff uh, that could go on. So that's our one question. That's, that's it. <laughs> We uh, we can get through some of the other questions. Um, everybody, a couple of people, a lot of people want me to talk about the Dakar uh, 2020 
and uh, we don't really talk a whole lot about racing on this show. Uh, there's a lot of shows that do a really good job about talking about racing and stuff. And I would love to talk about it and, and, uh, cause it's, it's kind of really timely and this is hopefully we're dropping a lot of information that isn't so timely, maybe a little bit about the bikes, but when we start talking about bikes, you're going to learn something that's going to apply. We just talked about a Yamaha, but what we just said about the Yamaha aside from the app, unless you have a get tuner. Yeah. Um, like applies, injector, that applies. Injector to applies to any fuel injected bike. You know, some people in the room are really uh, loving carburetors. Old school. <laughs> some of you old guys that love carburetors. Yeah, yeah. I want you to come over and clean all my carburetors because I hate them. <laughs> I like I like putting that stuff that that I talked about into a gas tank, and it cleans it for me. And I, my fingers. Well, they're not very pretty, but they don't get any worse. <laughs> so, do you think that this is a good additive if you've got car bikes and you're going to store them? Do you think like this particular anything, one? anything that you're storing? Yeah, that's that's it, good. This is a good one. Or you're, ethanol free. Yeah. Bikes. So, uh, a question from the peanut gallery. Ethanol is hydroscopic, so no matter what you do, where you go, it's absorbing water. Ethanol is hydroscopic and it's absorbing water. This is correct. Yeah. And and and. And so it's funny because if you have water in your gas tank, ethanol gas can actually clean the water out of your gas tank. But it, 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 in at certain temperatures, it kind of starts separating and then it can leave, it can drag deposits in other places. Yeah. So it can clean out the water in the refinery or in your, in your gas stations. Uh, uh, it can clean the ga- the water out of the gas station gas tank and deliver it into your crud. gas tank and crud. Right. So when the ethanol and the oxygen in the air get together with the water, then it starts corroding everything. Yeah, ethanol and water are bad bad combo. Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're using it all the time, if you're constantly using your bike and stuff like that, the ethanol is not as bad. It's, it's, I mean, because it, it, it's, it's, it's working. It's a, what is it? A solvent, right? Yeah, Essentially. Yeah. 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 So it's alcohol, right? Yeah. So I, d- I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to ne- have an expert come in here, but it's, it's, it's ethanol free gas is better because especially if your bike is sitting right. yeah, for any, any period of time. But, uh, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> where, where were we? What do we, what was my next thing? Oh, I was talking about racing. And how do we, how do we get there? Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. It's, it's going good. It's really going good. Dakar is going good. Um, it's awesome. I just, you know, I, do you wish you were there? I, you know, I, I've been watching the videos and I see the scenery in Saudi and it makes, it reminds me a lot of, of Africa, the, the, the beautiful places in Africa. I mean, they always put the cameras up in the best places. And trust me, there was days I rode for three days in Africa and I never wanted to see any more Africa, but <laughs> there was, there was sections of it. And like, I remember this one stage we were riding along the Niger river in, in Niger and, and it was pink sand and, and big red rocks coming out of the sand with green, you know, next to the river green. It was just, and it was like one of those, if you have that dream where you're ripping through the desert on sand and sand dunes and just, there's never anything dangerous. That's, we were riding on that. I rode that for an hour and a half, two hours. And I was just like, unbelievable. I, some of the stuff I see in Saudi Arabia, it looks like that, but I've also heard that it's very rocky and, and pretty gnarly as, as much as it's pretty. So uh, do, do I wish I was there? Kind of, but I don't want to race. I would like. I would love to go ride there. Would you want to like manage uh, a, ra- a team? No, 
no race manage racers are you kidding other people do manage that. you you no. managing you no no <laughs> no <laughs> not yeah not possible but um hopefully i have some really good really good news by the next time we're on the show and maybe i know this guy maybe this guy will come and hang out with me <laughs> soon so uh uh where's george um george is on the internets um he's not getting i think he was getting a haircut during our last show and so he's not there um Hey, if you if you think I'm full of crap here, um, you can go wa- listen to me on Adventure Rider Radio every once in a while. So if you're more on the Adventure Rider spectrum and uh, you listen to some of the stuff that I talk about here, um, they actually kind of corral me. They put a choke chain on me. I talk about kind of cool adventure riding subjects uh, every once in a while over on Adventure Rider Radio. So that's a plug. It's actually a really popular podcast um, if that's your thing. Uh, you have a question for me yet? Me? Yeah. You should we launch any of these? No, I'm going to do one more thing. Oh. But I just want to make sure you're ready. Uh, I'll be ready when you are. <laughs> um, over on Dirt Bike Test, that's the website that makes this all possible. Um, Trevor Hunter, who's like our cub reporter, I think his dad possibly um, is on the uh, in the in the chat room right now. Uh, Trevor raced the Best in the Desert Parker 250. Uh, finished third overall, has a pretty cool uh, race story up there where he tells you how his day went, how he managed to finish that thing without a bolt on his counter shaft sprocket. Ooh, I read that. Shameless yeah. plug. Yeah. So um, yeah. I'm blaming uh, the dads that were involved in prepping that bike because, uh, you know. So, Craig, yeah, put Loctite on that stuff. Um, pay attention to it. And, uh, yeah, good, good thing those kids finished. <laughs> finished at least he didn't knock a donkey off down there <laughs> if you want to see a cool video find search dirt bike test for running over a donkey in the nevada desert at 90 miles an hour so um there's uh, all of our old tech talk taco tuesday episodes are up there and uh every once in a while you'll find a bike test gabe how's that honda crf 250 rally test podcast coming it's in progress because we're launching a new podcast. It's called uh, the Dirt Bike Test Podcast where we test a dirt bike and talk about it. And uh, we actually put one in the banks, and now we need our professional uh, slave, uh, uh, young kid that um, edits this stuff to break it down into all of its components and put it up on the on the internet. Okay, question number one. What's the most the best question you have there? Dude, I don't know if it's best, but it's a segue right out of here. So KTM sh- countershaft sprockets. We've mm-hmm. had quite a few questions, and then I've seen a post about a broken bolt. So maybe we could talk about the bolt, tightening the bolt, Loctite, and then the dome washer. This is KTM specific. Yeah. Um, I have snapped one off before. Taking it out or putting it no, in? No, putting it in. Putting it in. Using an impact driver. Oh. Yeah, go, going, going. Like, you know, I... Hey, look. <laughs> that was when you were young. <laughs> no, I was. It was. It wasn't. It was a couple years ago. Um, but it was probably that thing was probably compromised from being on or off three or four times Been used before. Yeah, and 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 I I have a kind of like my I have a butt dyno. I have a I have a I have a wrist torque wrench as well. Okay, and it works not only when I'm turning the turning the wrench. I can also hold an impact driver and go. <laughs> and and I see the really good mechanics, the guys that do it the way you're supposed to do it. I see those guys cringe anytime i pick up an impact driver and it's in the drive mode like on the on the on the release mode they're usually not too concerned i can take stuff off with it but the minute i start screwing stuff back in they're like ah and and 
That's for the good sign. reason, apparently. That's the sign of a really good mechanic, which which I'm not. But my stuff works. I mean, it, like I said, I've snapped one off out of how many KTM's you see out in that garage? Yeah, yeah, it's a true. lot of them. Fifteen. So I probably hit it a little bit too hard, and so I have snapped one off. Um, they do use a pretty aggressive Loctite in in those things, and depending on how long it's been in there and lots of stuff like that, um, you might have to be delicate with getting it off. The thing is with the impact driver, I just run in there, and when I go to take it off, generally it goes like, and it comes out. You know, it might it might you know grind for a little ways on the way out, but it comes out. But then I clean it off. Then I use the Loctite, you know, the generally the I use a, uh, a medium like a two instead of the blue. Yeah, the blue one, not the high temperature stuff. It comes with red, and that's the problem. Yeah, it's red that's in there. Yeah, it's but there's there's different levels. There's like, have you ever looked at a a Loctite spreadsheet? You know, a document that talks about all the different kinds. There's there's a kind for everything. Uh, there's tons. It, it's the KTM legal. Yeah, the because they, they don't want it to come off like it did to Trevor. Because you know that could end your race or catastrophically do something bad, and you'd you'd be in trouble. Uh, ending your race is not a big deal in their world. Um, so I know guys who will wire wheel off the red and then use something more mod, like a green or a blue. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I've been using blue forever, and I haven't had any problems with it. Uh, some sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I put I don't clean. You know, if it comes out pretty nice, I'll put the blue right on top of the red and run it right back in, in there. And it, you know, they stay in there. They don't have to. I mean, if you run a good sprocket like a DDC, Ooh. by the way, um, you don't have to change them that much. <laughs> Long lasting sprockets. Actually, my counter shafts wear out quite a bit quicker than my rear uh, DDCs. But then you have to think about, you know, I ride a Husaberg 570. Do you know that? It has a lot of power. It has a lot of power. Yeah, and that thing that'll that that I'm lucky that the counter shaft sprocket splines don't just get ripped just off that eat, thing. Eat right off. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, what about dome washers? So you've got the stock one, or like uh, Dirt Tricks makes their <clears throat> their uh, special tool one. Steel, special yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to. I I've when I had those things, I ran uh, quite a few of them, um, and I haven't had any problems either way. It's just it most of the times the problems I see, and I've and I've I've bought used bikes off of guys, and they don't line them line them up properly. And then they there is a shoulder on that bolt. There's a shoulder on the bolt. Yeah, and then they they don't, and then they run it in there. So. Anytime I've seen a failure on that washer, it had to do with improper installation. Yeah, agreed. Never, never, it didn't, the, the washer didn't need to be any better if it was properly Loctited and stuff like that. But um, I'm sure they, they have a, you know, proper torque spec and all the stuff you can do it properly. But I got a really good, I got a really good wrist that just goes like that. I think the guys at Team Green taught me that. <laughs> not Spencer <laughs> specifically, but maybe not uh, Dave, uh, Dave Chase, maybe. Yeah, I know. He, he learned after that. He, I think he, I think he came from that. Like, but like, I think his wrist got slapped enough times to where, because he used to just cringe at me anytime I picked up tools anyways. <laughs> How about throwing a little paint dot on the bolt and then on the sprocket as a reference to see if that bolt ever starts to back off versus putting it i've seen people put them on the, I, I, on the bolt a lot of, and a lot on of the times washer. i take my yellow paint pen yep. and i run it on the bolt on the washer and out to the sprocket and and you know that that will work and that will show you what's what's happening now um, the washer will spin so that that paint it, reference is going to change it, but it should it shouldn't it, it should it absolutely but it often does it absolutely should not it, spin it should not but but sometimes it can so with the it's not tight enough that it will spin fair yeah. enough yeah Improperly heat treated spring steel, but the you. Dome washers are junk for the last few years. 
Oh, really? Uh, we got we got someone in the peanut gallery okay. that's claiming the KTM spring washers are junk for the last three years. That's a definitive statement. And you fly airplanes, right? You try to. Well, you're doing pretty good if you're still here because trying and flying are two different things. Yes, Bob. The dome just puts preload on the bolt. Preload against the O-ring and against the... But if the bolt if the bolt's tight, okay, if the bolt's tight, it, it that preload should be kind of insignificant. I mean, the, really, the amount of preload coming off that washer. Yeah, we know it's cut, but I mean, you think... With the heat treatment, it flattens out and it gets loose. With the heat treatment. Yeah, so you really want the dot on the bolt and the sprocket because you need to check the, the sprocket never turns in relation to the bolt. So if you dot the bolt and it then the sprocket, sh- somewhere shouldn't. where the tooth of a and where the, the chain won't wear it off, then you'll have like a true reference. And if okay, it, that if that changes, then you're losing you're losing. Yeah, the, if that if that bolt. if that washer is bad, it will spin, and then it's and then it's bad. I I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it spin on any of the bikes that I've had, and I've had a few new ones and old ones, and and so if but who 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 knows? I'm if it was really bad, <laughs> you would see a recall on it. Yeah, the washer is like kind of a, a secondary, a secondary kind of thing. Yeah, uh, that's what I would think too. Yeah, if you do it properly, and I do it properly with my impact driver, uh, by by twenty out of uh, 30, 40, 49 out of fifty bikes have had one hundred percent success. <laughs> Uh, okay. Right. Next, next question. Uh, what do you think is the best product, um, in 2020 accessory bike uh, mod? What do you think is we're on the 14th of January? Yeah. And since the best product, great segue. Oh, the climb oh, F- wow. F3 helmet that I just got. Feel how light that thing is, by the way. Holy crap. That yeah. Very light. Yeah, that's what I think. I don't it may know. May not be two pounds. Um, <laughs> were you talking about uh, bike specific stuff? Uh, just anything. Um, I think you should put a better rider on your motorcycle. Oh, is this a shameless plug? Probably. I mean, who else right is going to sponsor this <laughs> mediocre podcast? You can bring whatever's inside of that over here. Yeah. Um, uh, the best product, you know, it. And, and if you're going to ask me about the best product of 2019, I'd be much more equipped to answer that. Yeah, but like that. 2020, so in 2019, what was the thing I was most impressed with? Hmm. Uh, give me some time to think about that. I will. Okay. I will come back to I, something. Will something will come across? Gabe, what what did I what was I what did I talk about the, the most besides my Husaberg 570, which is from 2008? Huh? The KTM 500? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Oh, well, should we jump into the KTM 500 because we have some of that here? Well, no, just just run down whatever. Yeah, you, you're in charge of the questions. Okay. Because evidently, I don't do a very good job. You do a great job. <laughs> the um, the audience has spoken here. New uh-huh. the the new KTM model. What is the one that was just released? There's a small like 390 adventure bike. Do we have any info on that? We've had some questions about that one. Um, don't know anything about it. Is that the right size 390? 390 is the right size. Yeah. It's a single cylinder. Um, it's just, it's their, it's going to be kind of like an entry level adventure bike. Um, they, 
I, I, I don't think it's been released, but they, they have released the 390 Duke. If I'm, but that has street tires on it, so I don't pay attention. Um, so you can get an idea about the performance there. They'll tune it a little bit more for adventure riding. I've heard from people that have ridden it, although I don't know anything about it, uh, that it is a really good dirt bike. It's a really good entry-level dirt bike. Um, kind of like a Honda CRF250L, right, Gabe? Yeah. So that's a really good entry-level dirt bike also. Um, so... Uh, yeah, that I I don't you know it's not a it's not going to be a competition thing. It's going to be more along the the you know the adventure side of the side of the market. So that's that's all I know. That's what we know. Okay, so along adventure uh, navigation hardware apps. What do you guys use in rallies? And is any of that crossover to like guys who are doing, for example, uh, maybe say the tour of Idaho or some uh, BDR type routes? So in in rally navigation, the equipment is very very specific for the job. It's it's a map book holder, so it's a it's a it's a it's a couple wheels that scroll a printed map book. It's like a dual sport roll chart. If you know if you remember what those are, if that makes sense to you, it gives you a mileage, the mileage you're at. It tells you what to do with a picture, like there's a graphical picture description of what you're seeing on the ground, like. Imagine you're coming to a, a T intersection at, you know, at, you know, at an intersection. It would show the line you're on, which is the one that's straight in front of you, and the the, the road going, you know, ninety degrees and in, in a, you know, in front of you. T, you know, a T intersection, and that's what you would see. And then over on the other side, there's some notes that explain that maybe it's going to tell you the direction that you'll be heading when you leave it, or the speed limit that in the village you're in, or the, it'll talk about, you know. Uh, you're going to be on a paved road or a, or a, or there's going to be no road or, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information. So that's the paper that's scrolling. As far as GPS, um, those bikes, they have a GPS unit that tells the organization where the rider is. It doesn't show the rider where he's at. So those guys are not using any screen with any GPS. There's nothing info. that would be like a typical GPS. Um, what the what the GPS does do is it tells them the direction they're heading. It's so it's like a it's like a it's like a compass all the time. So it tells them, and we call it cap heading, C A P cap heading, and that's the direction you're pointing. Like right now, and and this is because. I'm kind of weird like this. I know that I'm pointing at 72 degrees when I when I go like this. This is 72. Is that straight east? No, 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 no. Straight east is 90. That's right here. Brilliant. Yeah, but if but you're 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 right here to my zero or my 360. You know, so when we when 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 if I looked at a map and all of a sudden it said that the road was going 180, I would know with 100 percent certainty that it was going this way. And so there's digital instrumentation on your bike that that tells you this or it tells you what direction you're pointing but you should also as a rider know which just like i'm doing right here sitting here telling you because i i feel it i know where it's at and this is but it's high level rally training stuff but anyways the in reality there there it's you're following a map book that gives you very specific instructions and what to do while you're trying to ride fast so it's difficult that the the gps and all that stuff it's mostly tracking the riders um, it does stuff like if, if another vehicle comes close to you, they can beep at you, you know, and your, your, your unit will emit a beep. Um, it has a safety thing in it, you know, you push safety and it also tracks to make sure that you go through the waypoint. So you don't miss, 
or you can miss a waypoint. You get penalized like for it. Virtual waypoints. Virtual yeah, yeah, check you, yeah. Virtual checkpoints to make sure you're you're staying on the course, so the organization kind of kind of see that. And then it helps with scoring, so that we can all watch on the different apps and stuff that they use. So um, that's the the navigation. But in reality, it has nothing to do. It's not like a GPS unit, like a Trail Tech Voyager Pro, for instance, that has really beautiful maps that are inside of it and and you could load track logs into it and you can keep your arrow on the track log and follow the track log and that's a different skill set entirely that's the kind of skill set you use at an extreme enduro like uh king of the motos or romaniacs or roof of africa you you run a gps unit just like you would on some dual sport rides now instead of giving you a roll chart or a map book whatever they give you a track log and you just keep your little arrow on the little line and follow the follow the route so it's quite a bit it's quite a bit different and but the equipment that they're using is very specific to the task do you have any recommendations on some of that equipment for like bdr and the tour of idaho kind of rides you so, mentioned the voyager pro okay so um yeah and i and i'm i'm a big fan of the trail tech stuff it's it's motorcycle specific gps units um so garmin makes uh gps units they make all different kinds like i well i had i had a i had a gps unit on my wrist but it also tracked my heart rate and some other stuff today when i was right but so like there's there's different you know there's magellan and there's uh what's the one all the there's uh all the off-road racers use typically lawrence that's so lawrence and then there's there's all kinds of apps you know people use ride leader and 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 lead nav and all these different there's just motion so x, much I think I've seen. motion x is is for 99 cents you can have a gps unit that's basically as good as almost anything you can buy in a in a in a you know, a hard unit, a, a, you know, a specific unit, but it kind of depends on what you're trying to accomplish. You know, you run motion X on your iPhone, your battery's going to run out in four hours. And so then you have to find a source for your iPhone and maybe you don't really want to have your iPhone on your, on your handlebars. But so the, so, so when I did tour of Idaho, I used two Voyager GPS units. And it's funny because I heard there's a rumor that I might be riding the king of the motos this year and I will run two Voyager GPS units because it's what I've practiced with. That's what I understand how it works and not the Voyager pros either. The original ones, the original, the original ones, because they're very simple. It's a, it's a, it's, I keep my arrow on the line. It doesn't, I don't need maps because especially when I'm in King of the Hammers or, you know, out in Johnson Valley, I know every trail there anyways. I just need to know which one I'm supposed to be on. So I keep my arrow on it. And the, the reason I run two is double. Um, one, I run, uh, I run them at different zoom levels. So imagine one zoomed up really close so I can see what I'm supposed to be doing right in front of me, you know, from here to that wall and just outside the door. Okay. And then I have one that zoomed out so I can say, hey, look, you know, up, up here I'm going to go, you know, in, in you know, 2,000 meters or whatever it is, 2,000 feet, whatever that scaling is, it shows that I'm going to go turn. Like right now just my one that zoomed close shows me going straight, but my, my one that zoomed out shows me turn. So – I know, okay, I'm right on top of the one that's close, but the one that's far away, I can look out 2,000 feet and see, oh, hey, that canyon goes and turns up there. I know where I'm going to go. So I run them at two different zoom levels. And additionally, if I have an issue with one, I have a backup unit also. So that's in, in those circumstances, both Tour of Idaho and in racing something like King of the King of the Motos, um, I would run two for, for those particular reasons. And the reason I say that the trail took ones are good is because you can monitor your en engine temperature. 
Um, it'll show you, it has a tachometer, show you, so your RPM, um, there's, there's stuff where it does some bike monitoring things. It can show you the voltage that your bike's putting out, you know, so if you're running other things like headlight, your fans coming on and off, you can see whether you're discharging or doing things like that. So, Ooh, I have a question about that. Somebody asked earlier on what, what alarm alert temperatures would you set those little, you got a yellow, yeah, light and a yellow red light and red on. Yep. on the, on the, on the Voyager and Voyager pro does it as well. Uh, and then let's talk about the the, the thermostat also because we the, we had that question thermostat coming from the thing. But anyways, there. so I set mine at one seventy for yellow. Well, see, it's funny you can have four levels. You can have you can have the light blink. You have light come on, and then you can make it blink. So I would set my yellow one to come on at one seventy. I would set my red one to come on at two hundred. I'd get my yellow one to blink at two ten, and I'd have my red one blink at two forty. Which is 240 is kind of like you're, in, you're in, boiling over. in my world, that's when things your bike's not cooling back down. Like I it's always up in the in the in 170 is pretty, you know, like usually 180, 190 is like where I see the bike a lot of the time. And then and then, you know, it goes starts going up in a two hundred. Yeah, you should probably stressing it generally. It's like Jimmy, what are you doing with the clutch? And then when you start getting up up, up to two forty, that's when you start seeing steam in my world. Yeah. And, and so I would, I don't want to really look at the number. I just don't want it to be there. And so when it's there, I start adjusting how I'm, uh, operating the motorcycle. If, if I have a clutch, cause generally that's where the heat's coming from. Um, I'm, I'm very careful about at that point. It's like, Hey, I need to quit using this thing, quit generating extra heat. Cause when you're building up heat with the clutch, all your cooling system, which is up in your top end, isn't doing much for that oil that's basically trying to boil down in the bottom end. There's you don't have you don't have cooling channels down in your bottom end. Yeah, there's it no take, oil cooler on it, typical bike. Yeah, yeah, you don't have an oil cooler, and it takes that oil to go up through your top end to circulate where there's other cool stuff to cool down. So you're actually cooling your oil down with your with your hot water your, with your cooling system, and and so it just so when it, when we're talking about setting it, that's telling me, hey, look, quit doing something that's wrong or shut it down and let it cool, which a lot of times that hot stuff that's actually probably hotter than what your coolant temperature is, believe it or not, is going to, the heat's going to bleed up in, you know, all of a sudden your, your cylinder, your top end is actually cooler than what your bottom end is. You know, that, that clutch is on fire. The clutch is like glowing red hot and the oil's going through it. And then the oil's transferring the heat Heat around the, the, around the rest of the motor. That's what I found with, with most, things that are boiling over. It's rarely that you're, you're, you're like riding your bike and you're not using your clutch in it. I've rarely seen a bike just being ridden overheat. I can see one just sitting there idling and idling overheating, but generally it takes clutch heat to make it go bad. So, but yeah, back to the sensors when it's, when it's at two forty and blinking red, like all the lights are, both of them are blinking. It's like, yeah, that's like full alert. Yeah. Stop doing something stupid. Then your gas starts boiling and all kinds of stuff happens. <laughs> so back to the GPS, do you have a recommendation of say the Voyager pro versus a uh, Garmin Montana or the, is there a, or a mm-hmm. phone is a phone with an app now really the next, uh, the, the next generation of navigation. It's the, it's the least expensive uh, way to get it, but how expensive is that phone you're strapping on your handlebars? If it's, it's your it's, iPhone X. It's a nine hundred dollar piece. Bucks. It's a nine hundred dollar piece of equipment that you're putting up there, as opposed to you know, I think in the in the in the Voyager thing, it's a you know, you're talking about maybe a six hundred six hundred dollar piece, the uh, you know, three hundred and fifty dollar piece of standard Voyager. 
but it, it's really how much you're going to use it and what are you using it for and how dane how 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 uh dang, i i can run motion x you know if i want to track myself i'll run motion x in my backpack or in my you know pocket where i carry my phone most of the time but i can't really quote use it to to do what i want to do unless i mount it up there with some kind of amount and then what case am i using how safe is it it's it's just a it's a personal choice you just got to decide okay um let's jump over to the heat in terms of the clutch we had a question about whether or not um a rider operating the clutch manually so a standard manual clutch versus a recluse on a bike and then verse and then when we talk about recluse standard like 3.0 model versus the cx with the the their steel uh friction plates let's talk about that so i you know i've run a bunch of different recluses and and i i have in most of my personal bikes and it's funny because um i you know it, it's it, i'm really picky about the setting like i don't like their standard whatever recluse is their standard setting because like i think yours is pretty it's, it felt like standard pretty to me by the book yeah for me it engages too late it, you know the bike revs up a little bit too, and, it, and it disengages too quick i want that thing to drag like when i put the bike in gear i literally want to have to hold my rear brake lever i don't want to touch the clutch lever but i want to hold the rear brake lever so the bike creeps yeah because at that point also if i'm riding up a hill and i let off the throttle yeah, and i stop engine braking it yeah it has well it will uh, up the hill it doesn't want to roll backwards you know just the engine idling and i set my engine idle maybe just a tad higher than than most people, which eliminates some compression braking and eliminates the recluse from releasing yeah, on a downhill. Like if I lock it up and when I let up the brake, the clutch is still engaged. But if on your bike, like when I was riding yours today, I locked up the rear brake, I let up the, up the rear brake and it rolled. I'm like, whoa. I yeah, had, no engine brake right there. I had, I, had to turn, I had to turn the gas back on. So um, it's a so it, there's a there's a there's a lot that goes into setting those things up and the way that i like it set up doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way that you're going to like it set up um, most people don't like their clutch to quote drag and do that kind of stuff but for the kind of riding i do it's different um on to the for so i if and, and the only people that i know that really hate recluse clutches are people that didn't give them a chance they they didn't actually go out and just say i'm gonna honestly give this thing a chance because the funny thing is you can pretend you can have a recluse in your bike and your bike won't stall and you can just pretend like you have a regular clutch in there you can ride your bike the same way you've been riding it for your entire life and you would probably never even know a difference when i took off in your bike i took off like i didn't know it had a recluse in it yeah. i just took off and i started rolling away and i just let the clutch out and then I pushed on the brake, and I said, "Oh, this has a recluse in it." Because the rear end didn't start to bog down on you. Yeah, it was like it was like it just didn't stall. I'm like, "Oh, it has a recluse," you know. So it, I I knew the the test, but I could have I could have just taken off in your bike, and I wouldn't have known. Because when I hopped on it, I pulled in the clutch, put it in gear, and like took off like normal, and it was like normal. And I'm like, I "Wonder if this has a recluse," you know. And then I so I just let the clutch out, and I started dragging the brake, and it didn't sure stall. Enough, there it is. Yeah. Oh, oh, it is. Okay, good. So that said, you know. That's why I always say that people say, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want one of those things. Put it in there and just use it like a normal clutch, and then you just will stall a lot less, or you'll quit using the clutch. And here's where the learning comes in. People that have ridden, started riding with a recluse, um, all of a sudden, because you listen to a regular guy ride, and they're, they they won't let the bike go down below 2,000 RPM. They're all, you know, that slipping we're talking about, the heat generation and slipping. They don't trust the torque of the motorcycle. 
And, and when you start riding a recluse, you go, hey, my bike will idle. It'll go low. It'll, it pulls from here. It pulls from here. It gets lower and lower. Yeah. It gets torquey. You'll hear the motor. You'll hear the difference between somebody who's riding on the recluse and riding on their clutch and yeah. slipping you, their clutch. All of, a sudden, all of a sudden, you on your recluse sound like Graham Jarvis. That's hard to do. I mean, that is a that is a like that the level of skill. He does not use a recluse, as far as I know. He may. I don't he does know. not. Yeah, I, I most of the extreme and drug guys do not like running the recluse for a couple of reasons. I'll talk about this in a second, but um, because they want they want ultimate control over it and they use it in other other ways. But you listen to the way that they ride. That's the way the recluse actually works. It puts it it engages the clutch when it needs to, and it, it puts the power, it delivers the power, and you can change it based on the setting. You know, different springs, different wedges, stuff like that. On dirtbiketest.com, by the way, you can search it out. We have a recluse setting uh, article up there that's uh, relatively informative. Um, so, anyways, uh, it, it's it's really good. So back to the 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 EXP, the standard the standard EXP, which now they're on level three, which is a is a Teflon slider wedge inside of the EXP disc versus uh, before it was ball bearings. And then I don't even remember what the original EXP one was. I think it was ball bearings, but it was different. The Z, they call them the Z start pro. Well, that's all ball bearings yep. on, on a, on a, on a, almost a diaphragm spring looking thing. Yeah. It's very cool. So EXP three is, is really good. I actually just pulled a couple of EXP twos out of bikes that had three, 400 hours on them. Uh, Cause I needed to upgrade them. They just were, they weren't engaging as well. And so I upgraded them like, man, what a difference. So just from two to three made a noticeable difference in just the way they engage. But when you go from EXP to their full kit, which we I think it's called CX. CX. And this is on the on the hydraulic clutches, or CX on the cable clutches allows allows the clutch lever to work like a normal clutch lever. If you just have the just the EXP the clutch ever kind of is vague and it's it's moving around a lot. The 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 CX on the cable clutches does something to where it allows the the lever feel to stay consistent. But they also add all of their own plates, which are thinner. Um, they're more like KTM clutch plates of all things, you know, compared to like a, a standard fiber out of a Honda or a Yamaha. They're they're metallic and they're thinner, and they pack more plates into the clutch pack. Or or the same amount while using their EXP disc, which is kind of thick. It's a you know centimeter and a half or something thick. So you know they take plates out to fit it in there, but now you get the number of plates back in, and that's coefficient of friction. There's plates, certain amount of grab, and on certain bikes it does make a big big difference um, in just the way that the clutch feels and engages. Um, I think you have some information on how hot they run or how hot they don't run. Um, I I've just found that every level that you pay more for with recluse, um, you're getting a little bit better performance. There's another jump in performance. Uh, will you notice it on some bikes? Absolutely. Yes, you will. KTM 350. You want to run the CX KTM 500 doesn't seem to care. So, um, on then, and then on the Honda, same thing. Every level we went up, we took, you know, we, we just replaced the, we put, put the CS CX discs or the, what do they call it? Drive pack. What do they call their uh, torque pack? Torque pack. Torque torque drive. Torque, torque drive. drive clutch. So we just replaced the Honda place with a torque drive, and it made and that, that clutch is not the best clutch. We just put that in there, and it made it better. Bike and, feels more powerful. Eh? Yeah. It, so I ride. I I swapped out a 
the clutch pack, a stock clutch pack yeah. on a Honda, and it just felt like there was more power because the clutch grabbed better, had more authority to the to the grab, and uh, it just it just felt like a bit of a horsepower boost, less slip, less slippage. I I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's funny because you're calling that more power, and there's no difference in power. There is no it's, difference in power. It's what you're feeling. Yes, and more, and more drive, more more acceleration. And and funny to talk, you know, rolls back to Yamaha thing when you. Like Yamaha, the difference between like a YZ and a YZFX and a WR in the clutch, it's all the same parts. They they mix and match the clutch plates in those. And they do – They do get intentionally, it, don't they? they yeah, intentionally because it's a different kind of a feel. It's a feel at the lever. It's a feel in the in the way the power is delivered. And, and, you know, this is kind of stuff that people just don't even think about. It's like just give me the best clutch. What what do you want? Do you want less bite? You're talking – you felt the bite that the that the – that the torque drive gave the Honda and you felt more power. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's, it, we're, we're talking about the same thing, but you, you called it one thing and somebody else would call it something different. And I just got better feel out of, out of the Honda. I didn't feel any more, any more power, but it's kind of, you know, it depends on how you're using your clutch and stuff like that. So there's, there's, and, and, in reality, that's hopefully why we're doing stuff like this show to explain this stuff that maybe somebody didn't realize these things, and and that there's some place you can go that that says, hey, these are these different levels of things you can do, and here's what they do. And if you ask a specific question, hopefully I can answer that question. You can answer that question. We can answer that question, and you can make a informed purchasing buying decision based on. You know, something like something like that. And it's it's funny, you know, like who like like do you want to use your clutch to get more power? <laughs> you know, you would you would say, yeah, baby. Yeah, I like to I like to felt better. I noticed in my personal experience by running the CX pack. So that's the that's their steels versus, say, the aluminum of the of the stock pack, say on KTMs. We see that. Bikes run cooler in technical situations when they're running a recluse and then even cooler still when they're running the CX pack versus say like the 3.0 pack, which uses the stock plates. So that's been my experience. Have you seen that as well? I did. No, I, I, I did a really extensive test with, and what we got to get to your, we got to get to your question about the, the eliminating the, um, the thing. Um, I, I, I was wondering what I did. I did a really big test on, on cooling, cooling systems. And uh, it was using a Boysen impeller and, and their their thing and then some different full cool, cool stuff. Yeah, different things. But we'll get to that later. But I haven't done that with clutches. Um, but I, I will for 100 percent with 100 percent certainty, I will tell you that if you're running a recluse clutch, that as long as you're not abusing the clutch, in other words, you're in the right or you're abusing the bike, you're in the right gear. You're riding the recluse in the exact same gear as you would ride with a manual clutch. The recluse will run cooler. The bike, the, the bike engine will run cooler. Will run cooler. Yes, yes. That's 100%. 100% what we experienced too. Yeah. Um, going between the different clutch packs and stuff, um, I, I've never noticed a, a, a significant temperature difference. I've noticed a performance difference and just in, in the engagement, the feel, but it's on it's on certain bikes. And the KTM 350 is probably the perfect example of that. I suspect the 250 because it's a very similar engine. The 500, like I said, didn't seem to care so much. I've run... In one bike, I had a full, you know, the full CX setup, and the other one, I just had the drop-in, you know, EXP disc, and they both seemed to work pretty much the same. And 
I don't ever think I really abused them to to the level to see if there was something at the at the high end when you really got them hot. But um, yeah. Did we want to cover dampers on that? Well, let's talk about eliminating your eliminating your uh, thermostat. Jump that, to that. That came up because um, we're talking about like heat and stuff like that. Uh, my experience. This is just this is just me. I have some bikes that have it taken out, and I have bikes that it is still in. Most of the time, ninety nine percent of the time, I don't know that it's in there. I it it as long as it's functioning properly, um, I saw no uh, difference in how the bike cooled. Uh, it did warm up quicker. That was for sure. With it, it got to normal operating temperatures, and for the most part, during the most of the year out here, it wasn't an issue. So on the bikes that I've removed it on, uh, bikes don't warm up as quickly, but usually that's like a minute or, you know, a minute, maybe a minute and a half more uh, in time, kind of depending on how I'm riding them. And then if it's really, really cold outside, the bike doesn't totally warm up for a long time. Yeah. It takes a long time for that motor to get hot. So in other words, the oil has to warm up and you know, the, it, it just never, it just never gets up there. Uh, Bob, yes, hello, if, if raise your hand. If you're just cruising down a dirt road, yes. it runs really cold. Without it'll cool, yeah, it'll cool the bike down quite a bit. Cold to the point of it's got to be running off the end of the lookup table. Yeah, uh, I don't, you know, uh, I'm sure they have, you know, yeah, as far as in, inside the ECUs and stuff like that, I don't, I, I mean, it's probably outside of the parameters where it's ordinarily supposed to use. I don't think it's like going to necessarily cold seize. You know, you know, like on the two strokes, we'd be worried about that on an, and, and they have them on the two strokes and I guess you could cold seize them a little bit easier on those bikes when, but I, I wouldn't take it out for the sake of like, oh, this is a performance modification. <laughs> you know, if you're trying to simplify your hose routing or uh, do something like that. And I have never had a, um, on the KTM specifically, and I've had some experience with them on some of the newer Honda stuff. I've yet to have a failure with the with the thermostat uh i've known some guys that have got them so hot to you know where they where they were boiling the crap out of them and some of the connections and stuff in that thermostat thing but they were way above where they should have been anyways um they've had issues with the with the um all the plastic you know the fittings and things like that yeah so all the so, guys who say like throw a boysen on and get rid of the thermostat and do a bypass hose all of that you're just saying that, that so ends up kind it, of being bling essentially <sighs> In my test, in this test, and I was very because Boysen was real interested in wanting to do some stuff. They wanted some, they wanted some tests that proved what their stuff does. And we're certainly not picking on Boysen. No, 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 absolutely not. No, and and it's the thing. It has to be part of a system if you are going to increase the flow uh, with this much more efficient impeller and impeller pump cover. You'd better do something to your radiators as well, because. Your your radiators are in, – in what I could tell is when I did all this testing, I saw I saw maybe like I, – I, we, we, we were doing a loop of kind of like an extreme enduro where it was, it was stuff where you would just barely get the bike boiling and then have a road to cool off on, ride another section, get the bike to boil, cool off. You know, and it, would, it was heat cycles and stuff, some hill climbs. Okay. And so it was – and, and I ran the bike around uh, – and I, I carried I carried the the boys in the stock one in in my you know fanny pack and would switch it and do it and and uh, did this test and 
you, you, you saw the, the differences because we had – I used the TrailTech Voyager. It shows your temperature. You did te- it shows your temperature, and it also – it yep. showed my track log, and it showed the temperature at each point in the track log. So I could look at each point. So I could look at the extreme enduro section and see the temperature rise and temperature rise. It rose exactly the same on both bikes and stuff like that. And then you get to the top, and you start going down the road, and the boys went cooled just a teeny tiny little bit quicker, but never – to any significant, there was never any significance about it. So then we put bigger radiators on the bike. And so we did the exact same test. And all of a sudden the bike, the entire time ran X amount cooler to the same degree. It, it, it didn't, to the it, same vector with the stock pump and the Boyson pump. C- correct. They, they it, tracked the, the temperature, the same. temperature was everything actually, just dropped. Oh, what? Pass it Mike, tequila, that's please. a that's a mic drop. No, you oh, can't boy. have any. Oh. You're, you're cut off at that point. <laughs> we got to get to the tequila night. Don, hey, hold on. What's the tequila night? Anybody want to guess? I said the purse part. We'll get in it. Go ahead and guess. Actually, I'm losing track on the on the uh, thing here. We'll get back to it. Uh, hey, guess what? Kurt Heinz was responsible for the counter shaft sprocket on Trevor Hunter's bike. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kurt. Thanks for those beers that one time on the side of the hill when you got stuck. Uh, should I tell this story? Probably. Oh, we're going to get back to the, 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 the cooling systems. Cause I, I was, I w- Kurt was overheating on the side of a hill. So there was a, there was a trail ride that we were going on and, and, and Kurt likes to transport beers for everybody at the end of the trail ride, of course. Uh, so he had a backpack full of beers and they were, it was almost, it was almost like a dispenser, a beer dispenser of sorts. And there was this one long uphill and lots of different lines and stuff. And he, he rode up there and got stuck and, and he was stuck and he was pushing his bike. And I rode up right next to him and stopped. He dispensed a beer to me. I took it and I rode away and it was awesome. That was the last beer. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, he was on empty at that point. Yeah. I got, got, got the left him there. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, okay. Back to the, back to the, uh, the, the cooling system thing. So if, if you are, we'll get there. If you are running a bike that's running at like 10 tenths. So you're running a 250 F in an outdoor motocross at a sand track. You're probably going to want to increase the cooling capacity of of the motorcycle because it's at that point that, yeah, the rider's probably using the clutch, but the bike's running full sing and it just, it gets to the point where it needs to dissipate heat better. If you put better radiators on and you don't, you know, because the, the KTM 350 I was doing, it was never taxing. It was getting the close to boiling, but once I got it moving again, it would cool down. And, and if I just, if I just set it in, if I just kept it in the extreme enduro section, it would boil over. It needed to have airflow going through, and then so then we started. Obviously, doing, you had the fan, uh, stock no. fan. Oh, you didn't have a fan. No, no, I didn't have a fan. But that was that was the next level. So then we put a fan on. The fan changed everything in the slow speed non moving section. Fan made no difference when the bike was working. We also put different louvered radiators. You know, louvered ones, the stock ones sure, versus yeah. versus a, a wire mesh versus a whatever. Yep. There's there's a definitely a difference there depending on the speed the bike was moving. The fan kind of was the best thing you could do, especially if you're keeping the bike up going slow using your clutch. But if you're running your bike fully taxed out like a motocross bike and it's actually moving, fan's not going to do a whole lot there. At that point, it's controlling the airflow through the radiators, and hopefully you have enough radiator space to to dissipate it. But at that point, if you have really good radiators and your impeller isn't that good, You've got to, you, you need to upgrade each part. It's a, it's part of a system. Kind of like when we talk about these, 
you know, these ECUs and, and stuff like that. It's like, you're going to modify your exhaust. You're going to have to do something to your fuel. One it's, change affects everything. It, it absolutely, absolutely does. So, uh, yes, yes, Bob out in the field, the internet. Yeah. There there's, it, it's internet. Hold on, Bob. Internet's plural. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hoses that they go into things. The pipeline. It's pipelines, internets. So right. They, people cite motocross, pro motocrossers that do not run the thermostat. But the right. Pro motocrossers are running at 100% all the time, and the thermostat's of no value to them because the bike's already warmed up when they get the Yeah, yeah, they have, some, they have a professional mechanic warm up their bike. Yeah, motocross bikes don't have thermostats because they don't necessarily need them, and they're they're... Most part, they're running pretty consistent. And, and the reason for a thermostat is like sometimes you're riding slow or sometimes you're going fast on a road or cool, and then sometimes it needs to be wide open. And it's, you know, that's a cost-added part. Okay, here's here's the thing you got to think about. It's like it's a cost-added part. Either it's mandated because of some regulation, i.e. all the, you know, locked ECUs and different stuff like that. If they can get away with not putting a part on a motorcycle, they're not going to put it on there because it's, it's it's another thing. So it evidently makes it work uh a little bit better. I, I haven't, I, I would, I wouldn't go out of my way to take one off. And if I had one on, I would just be aware that I don't have one on it, you know? And if I didn't have one on, I'd be probably trying to simplify the hose routing. And I know on some of the EXCs, it gets a little complicated back there and, or EXCs, uh, FEEs or stuff like that. Um, so yeah. Um, turn the pressure down. Somebody tells me. <laughs> Turn the pressure on the water. water no, I pump? think he's talking about the impact driver. It's an electric one. Uh. <laughs> hold, hold on. Um, so who get? Uh, let me see if I can scroll down and see uh, where we're at. Um, does the climb technical shirt with proton armor off the same protection as the hard plastic ballistic jersey? Um, so the climb tactical stuff. I have. I have some of that. Is. That's the uh, what's it called aggressor man I one of these days I'm gonna learn figure out how to learn names but so climb makes uh like a, it's like a it's like a it's like a sh- it's like a shirt that has these pads in it they're like D3O or some really good uh, impact um, resistant stuff I love it um is it bet is it as good as as hard plastic um depends on how you're gonna hit the ground <laughs> it's kind of kind of like your helmet all these different foams and stuff like that I when when I think I'm gonna go like if I go out to the sand track and try to smoke uh, Paul Neff on my 125 uh, while he's riding uh, maybe a KTM 500 and I'm just on a 125 and I you know I'm gonna like kind of send it a little bit I will wear that stuff I wear the the shirt and the pants um, just in case I bump bump into the ground because it definitely takes some of the dent um, out of the uh, out of the ground. Uh, let's see what other questions we have lots of old desert racers in the house here um richard jackson (laughs) yeah yeah the caveman that's right um um george uh, i think the bolt has a so they're still talking about the sprockets but that's how far back i am um let's see there's uh, they're they're having their own little chat in the chat room so if you're wondering how this chat room thing works we are Typically, at this point in our world, we're on Facebook uh, Live every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock from Prump. Uh, there's a chat room. People have uh, San Felipe Bob and uh, George Justice kind of run the chat room. Uh, where's Victor? 
<laughs> Victor, I got your clothes sitting here in the floor. I just need to send them, but I don't want I don't want them to get ripped off. You know, you got to come back from Mexico one of these days. Um, let's see. There's Victor. Uh, kerosene works great for me. Good God, what is he talking about? What's reference to that to? <laughs> oh, cleaning the injector, maybe. Oh, um, he leaves his bike down in Mexico, and then I get back. I just turn the kerosene out of the bowl. Yeah, so he's putting his kerosene in his float bowls. Okay. Victor the Mexican. Yeah. How would the Mexican do it? Diesel. Ask Victor. Good job. Um, I'm looking forward to the popsicle at the end of the King of the Motos, Victor. Um, Eric Hall loves the Voyager Pro. Uh, you can see your buddies too. That is the best thing about the Voyager Pro. When we're buddy talking tracker. Buddy tracking. Um, that's something that you're, I mean, Garmin did it with the Rhino back in the day. But it didn't work. Uh, it wasn't near, that good. Nearly as well as the Voyager Pro things. Uh, you guys need that when you do Tour of Idaho. We have a host of Tour of Idaho questions over here in the corner, right? That's what you guys are prepping for. No, but we need to go on a bike today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what happened today? Oh, who, who I made, who made, Okay, I don't even care because I, I know where home is. You and know so where you were. I knew where I was, and I was fine. So we we rode this. We rode to the end of this trail. It was all hoop de doos and silt and fesh-fesh and rocks. And I and we kind of came to this road, and uh, me and Wayne were sitting there. He was riding in my desk the whole time, and uh, we we're sitting there. And we go, where, "Where? You hear anybody?" I'm like, "No, we'll just hang out." So we hang out for about what, 15, 20 minutes, and they never came. We're like, "Uh oh, what happened to Nancy?" Right? Because that's what we always do. You always say something must be wrong with the girl, right? I mean, oh wait, who? So who went the wrong way? I was the first Mike. one to go the wrong way. Mike? Yeah, so it was a split. It was a Y, and I zigged, and you guys all zagged. Yeah, I. Yeah, so no. But nobody followed me. Nobody, I mean, nobody followed you because we kind of went back and traced tracks. You know, we 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 kind of came back and Al. Al was Al wasn't there, so he's in he's at fault. <laughs> so he. Uh, anyways, uh, so yeah, we could have used buddy tracking. That would have helped a lot. Um, so yeah, that, that is the best feature of the of the Voyager Pro. That's what makes it special. Is What's the range on that? Depends on where you're at in the mountains, like where we were at. Um, in reality, and it has this kind of mesh. It works in a mesh. So in other words, if you can see one person and the other person can see all the other people, you can see all the other people. Yeah. But if you can't see anybody, you're not going to see anybody. It's radio frequency, but it so does pretty good. Each one acts as a transmitter and receiver for the other signals in the group that it gets. Yep. Yeah, so it it works it works pretty good. And uh, um, I mean, as good as you can expect radios to work. I never expect radios to work, but I'm always surprised when they do. And you can see when your buddies are moving, and then your buddy can hit like a help, you know, help a button, and then their buddy like I don't know what it does, but it it shows them kind of like flashing, or they're not, you know, it sends out an alert. Yeah. So if you get radio signal, because we rode, you know, we were on a road where I'm pretty sure we would have got signal from where I knew you guys ended up. Sure. We would have seen a ping and it would have said, yeah. you know, somebody could have said, hey, you push the button that, you know, the buddy tracking alert. And it was like, uh-oh. And then and it, if, if we got that alert, we would have seen where that alert came from and we could have just rode down the road, except that trail was pretty uh, darn fun riding through all the silt and hoop de doos and fesh fesh and Pricky bushes and all that stuff. So we rode back on it because uh, it was fun. And then we rode the other trail that you guys rode, and then we rode another trail, and then I got a flat tire. <laughs> so, uh, okay, no ethanol in central Mexico gas as well, by the way, just in case you're uh, heading down there. 
Oh boy, we've got a lot of questions. Do you have any more questions over there, or you want to run through these ones here? Shoot those because these we can hold these over. We can. Okay. Do the tablets have any good software for ADV typewriting? Um, I don't know. I mean, you can. So, most most of these motorcycles these days come with a tablet. Uh, George, your 790 comes with a tablet mounted on the dashboard. I think if you pay enough money, they activate some sort of GPS thing on it, don't they? On the KTM 790. I don't know. I didn't play with it enough. I just twisted the throttle. Um, yeah, so lead nav is somebody suggesting that. That's always good. Um, GPX Viewer Pro on an Android device. Um, and uh, Garmin version, whatever that is. I don't know. So I've used um, quite a few different apps. There's one, oh, what the hell is it called? Um, O-S-M-A-N-D Plus. It's kind of like one of those open source things. I think it's Danish, and it's got really good base maps. And I've had good luck using Kio Sierra DuraForce Pro. That's sort of like a commercial-grade construction worker-type phone. It's really rugged. Mm -hmm. The only thing I— Because someone here says, oh, uh, phones overeat in the sun, which is—I've had iPhones overeat all the time in the sun. I don't use iPhones, so only Android. Android devices, for me anyway, in my experience, seem to work better. And this this Kiro—how do you say that? Kiro Sierra DuraForce Pro, this phone— they don't last forever. Like just the buzz of the bars eventually takes out both the camera and the GPS chip. And so there is this life cycle on these things. So I'm finding like you get about a good year out of them and then they're pretty well junk. So I buy them on eBay, refurbished, whatever. You know, it's like a refurbished yeah, phone. Yeah. I'm paying like 60, 70 bucks for them. They last about a year. And then if I lose it, I break it, I destroy it, whatever, toss it. And I've, I've got a, I don't know, I've got a bin of about four of these things. Are they hard mounted? Yeah, well, so I've experimented with lots of different mountings. There's Hondo Garage makes, um, if, if you've ever heard of them, they have this little thing. It's got this stainless steel kind of braided cable that sort of isolates and dampens it. I've, I don't own that, but I've seen those. I've seen those fail twice. Um, I think that the guys need to just be tightening. I think maybe it's a maintenance thing. This stuff vibrates, right? And so I think there's some maintenance that needs to be done on these things. Um, you know, you could put them on a ram arm. There's all kinds of different ways to do it, but... I think the point is, you know, here's something I'll say. I've gone through four of these Android phones, and I've never had to replace a Garmin, Monta- Garmin Montana. So and the Garmin Montana is a really good. That's my I have, a, I have a whole I have a whole group of friends that run that, and they're happy with it. Um, I think because they can the way that they can share between the Garmin Montanas. Well, there's, there's a there's some sort of a is there like a. There's a infrared sort of thing, yeah, or some, like a, something. I know I don't know because I'm not oh, I'm not I'm that. not that guy. <laughs> I think I have an older one that does not do that. Yeah, so they they have something where they're that's their that's their kind of go to, and I think it's just because they, you know, they're they're it's like it's like the same thing. If you're going to buy a Voyager Pro, and the the real advantage is buddy tracking, you hope all your buddies have it. You know, they, you hope your buddies have six hundred dollars in their pocket to drive sales to, for to, 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 to groups of riders. Yeah, to get things like that. So um, there's there's a there's a lot of different options. It's just a matter of researching it and figure out what's going to work for you. Maybe somebody in your group already has something, and that's kind of what you're going to gravitate to. So. Um, and, and I think now with the emerging, all the emerging apps and different things like that, uh, you are going to find that, uh, you know, you're going to find an app to replace, uh, (laughs) a lot of the, a lot of the hardware. And that's, you know, I mean, how many, I was thinking about, there was something else that doesn't exist. Oh, you go, go into the store. You remember when there was a big giant section of GPS devices in the store? Like in, in like, a, in like you go to Best Buy or something, yeah. and there would be this huge array of now, all kinds of specialty ones. Now there's now there's three or four. <laughs> What's a Tom Tom? Yeah. So uh, I promise you this, right, Hans? The 1942. Yeah, it's Don Julio 1942. 
thanks to my in-laws. Um, this is my Christmas present. So we're gonna we're gonna have a little little bit of this here. Uh, Her, check it out. What's that? You you can have some, or you're well, not I'm gonna, gonna put a little brownie in one. Uh, no, my, we're not gonna, gonna put thing. brownie in it. Does anybody else want some? No, I got. I'll do. I'll do three. And just little little tiny guys, just samplers. <laughs> so uh, it's called the piggyback bounce, going one off the other. Yeah, that's uh, meshing, I think. Um, Voyager Pro buddy tracking is great. Let's see, I'm in the market from for some premix for my 17 KTM 250 SX. This is Charles Icard. I saw some online videos of some old ball guys swearing by using Amsel Sabre at 100 to 1 or 80 to 1 in their off-road bikes. And then a bunch of other videos creating a myth about the product. Have you tried this stuff, this mixture that's lean, pluses or minuses of doing this? Well, Charles, I um, my current uh, two strokes have oil injection. And so I pour oil into the, uh, the little spout up by the headset and I don't worry about it at all. Um, despite what bald guys may tell you <laughs> about oil pooling up on reeds and things like that, haven't experienced any of it. I, I'm told, I am told that the current fuel injected, oil injected bikes and the betas oil injected, they run between 60 to one and a hundred to one, depending on your, on your RPM, maybe a little bit down like to 40 to one at certain times, you know, based on strain and stress and stuff like that. Um, that's not been confirmed. It's just what I've been told by people that said, I think this is what it is. And they probably thought correctly so um you're, you're running away you don't really want any no 1942 i'm gonna have some for you so uh <laughs> he's making room for it <laughs> so uh what do i mix mine at well i usually take the bottle and i kind of go like this and it the bottle it could be any bottle that sponsors this show would be the best two-stroke oil, oil that I have in my hand at this time. That brand, and I take it and I go, just like that. And it's, Is that your torque wrench hand? It's, it's a measuring dish, too. It, it really does. It just pours the right amount. And so... You know, so four ounces to the gallon is kind of like 32 to 1, 40 to 1-ish, ish. Four ounces a gallon, I think, is 32 to 1. So three ounces is more like, you know, 40 to 40 to 1 and like two, three, two, I don't know. Hey, how many bikes in my garage are seized right now? Zero. Zero. Yeah. It, it's worked for a long time. And trust me, if I was racing, I promise you I'd go pull out the damn racer right and do it properly. But most of the time it's like, hey, just add, you know, put some, put some stuff in there. I've done it for a long time, but I practiced a lot and I, I luckily didn't have any failures. So I was probably, you know, when it said to pour in, you know, when we were scared about it and you had to be running 20 to one with castor bean oil, I probably poured 16 to one in just to be safe because I didn't want to seize my bike. And over time I learned it and I did not do this when I was racing KTMs, 125s out in the desert because you did, you did. Because I seized, I seized a couple of them. But it was because of the oil, not because of the way I was mixing it. So I was very careful about that. About your oil of choice. The oil of choice? No, no, no. You said you were careful about the oil. You, mm -hmm. Not the mix. It wasn't the ratio. It was the whatever oil it was. Um, Do you recommend using, because a lot of guys will get very brand specific and have lots of fights, as this question kind of stipulated, like KTMs, they use Motorrex. Should Yamaha, Yamaha, Yamaha guys use the Yamalube stuff? Like, do you, is that a... 
a good guide? I think that you should use whatever you have had success with. And if you talk to your buddies and they've had really good success with something, then it probably works too. I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find an oil that doesn't do its job, its job, especially if you actually use the oil. It's, you know, I had the petroleum engineer in here, Chris Rial. He said something that was <laughs> – the first thing is make sure you're using oil. <laughs> you know, make sure – you know, what's the best oil for your motor? Well, we got to – Jimmy, take a step back. Make sure there's oil in your motor. <laughs> you know, that's always a good thing. So, you know, I think – I, I have bought I'm I've been guilty of buying that big gallon bottle at Walmart of two stroke outboard engine oil and I've run that in some of my bikes. I haven't had any failures. I didn't do it on purpose. I did it because it was cheap and mostly because before I was using that other product that we talked about earlier in the show that I Those said really sponsors that that could should sponsor this damn thing. Um, that's actually really good at like. One of the techniques we used to keep carburetors clean back when we were having a lot of issues was the last tank of gas we ran through the bike before we put it away, we mixed it at 40 to 1-ish. And that oil coated some of the metal parts inside of the carburetor and stuff and tend. But it also, if it would pool up and, and you know goo up and stuff like that as well. So it wasn't the best thing, but it did work because we noticed our two-stroke bikes did not have the same carburetors. Our carburetor issues, our four-stroke bikes did with the same gas, except it had oil in it. It was mixed. So um, just just that. What was that? Power valve. A power valve? Oh, the, the, some of it sticks to the power valves and stuff. Coats them and gets them gooey. Yeah, it definitely could. Um, yeah, and there's there's oils that run cleaner than other ones, but, you know. Um, have you ever seen how I ride a two-stroke? I let them sing. I mean, they eat the whole time. Like, I mean, I twist that throttle. There's never any goo on the back of my muffler. Is Yeah. Because what, what, what ratio are you running? 60. 60 to 1. And what oil are you running? Okay, Maxima at 60 to 1 is the best oil in this room right now, right? K2. K2, yeah. No, I'm, huh? Motul. Oh, you're running Motul. Yeah. Well, you were riding a four-stroke today. Well, different bike. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just, you can't prove it to me. I saw him ride all day. His bike didn't seize. It seemed like it was working perfect. He mixed it himself. Did you use a ratio right? Yep. You did. That's precision. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Don't listen to me. Like, don't listen to the guy who just, like, he has this wrist adjusting. <laughs> this torque wrist. <laughs> this torque wrist. It's only good at torquing, not pouring oil and stuff. Who who wants the, who wants them, um, Don Julio? Come on, guys. Come on. Yeah, come on over here. You're not even going to get in the frame. Nobody will see who you are. You're not a torqueaholic? Torqueaholic. Anybody else? One more? Yeah, how about a plastic water pump? Plastic impeller. Impeller. Uh, <laughs> if if you're really hard on your clutch, your past plastic impeller might melt. I mean, that's outside of the uh, the you know expected um, <laughs> the tolerances, I guess. I I've I've never had I I've in all of the bikes that I've had, and I know some of my Husabergs, and I mean, I get those things hot because I run them hard because <laughs> I make a lot of power. They have plastic impellers. Actually, I think every KTM I have, except for the KTM 350 that has the Boysen setup in it, um, has a plastic impeller in it. I've never had a plastic impeller failure um, at all. So uh, I don't think it's a, a big a big deal. 
Let me run through, see if we have any questions. Uh, pour a little more two-stroke on your gas. You're good to go. Um, let's see. K well, I'm hearing that Bellray HR2 is the best if you have a KX500. Um, if you're San Felipe Bob, uh, Yamalube R2 is the best because Bob is a uh, Yamaha guy. And David Brown says the smell of castor oil uh, does him right. And then San Felipe Bob comes back and hits on one of my favorites, Rock Oil Strawberry Scented Two-Stroke Oil. Now, I, I when like guys, when I was at Dirt Rider, Rock Oil sent over a little care package to us, and and it, lucky they did because I didn't really – I mean, I'd seen Rock Oil on, you know, GP bikes and stuff like that. I knew I was aware of the brand, but I never used their stuff. Um, they're back in the States, by the way. Um, the guy had actually contacted me um, a while back, but I – drop the ball as usual that is good tequila isn't it but rock oil makes the best air filter oil if you're chain if you're cleaning your air filters on a regular basis they make this stuff called synthetic water washable air filter oil swaf and it literally it's like no toil so you know what no toil is like no toil is a two-part system it's just it's not really oil per se but you use their cleaner and those filters come out like they're brand new well, the, the, the rock oil stuff, and we did a test on it at Dirt Rider, and it won the shootout. And everybody's like, you can't use that. What if I wash my bike and water gets on it? Well, you have to agitate it. you know. But anyways, but you put this stuff on, oil the filter up, and, and it gets super dirty. You put it in the sink and wash it, and it's like brand new and no residue. It was incredible. But it's 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 got a lot of um, carrier agents, alcohol in it and stuff like that. So it is kind of hard on the foam and hard on the, the glue. Uh, if it sits, like if you don't, if you're not changing your filter on a regular basis, and I have a lot of bikes out here that sit for six months where they have to have the filter changed, and so it's not good in that thing. But if you're changing your filter every, you know, every three weeks or something like that, man, that's some good stuff. Uh, but back to the strawberry scented two-stroke oil, they had that was the other thing that came in the care package, and I I was racing KTM 144 at the time. I was just going out and racing for fun, and uh, man, did my ass smell good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people are like, man, that, what, what are you running in that thing? <laughs> like, those are my farts, buddy. <laughs> no, no. People are always behind me. You know how I ride like wide open singing it. Yeah. Send it. Send it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, boy, we've been going, we're going way over time here. Eight thirty. It's about time for bed shut it down. bedtime. Shut it down. We can get close to shutting it down. Um, hey, uh, you got you got any more good questions? You know, we ran through quite a few of these. We had some stuff that we were gonna maybe try to cover with Tour of Idaho because we've got some of these guys here. You know, what? we're gonna we 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 might go. They're they're still they're not these guys are old and they're not asleep. So we might cut this shut this thing down and do a second quick uh, a quick little Tour of Idaho. Are these supercross guys use yes, I think so. I don't know. I, they never tell you what they're using, but I think some of the guys are using them so anti-stall thing. A little more, a little more and more. Like it's just because their their equipment has gotten so good, it's so reliable. They are start. Some of the guys are starting to use the auto clutch setup. They've been using the torque drive plates for a long time, you know, the manual. But now with the auto clutch, some of them are using it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot to that. A lot more than like just what. There's some interesting stuff I've heard of, uh, you know, and why the bikes do what they do. Like, you know, your bike has a tip-over sensor and it shuts off. 
uh, you know how like some bikes like they they fall over. You know you know they have a stepper motor inside the inside the fuel injection and it idles up higher. So maybe when your bike when your bike tips over and the sip over sensor notices it tipped over, it runs the idle up higher so it doesn't stall. Ever heard of that? <laughs> those are features. So like with the Get ECU, those are things that you can go into and we can tune that so we can turn off the tip over hey, sensor. We, we didn't can... talk about anything that you sell. Uh, whatever. It's all yeah. good. What's your website? Uh, tacomoto.co. Tacomoto.co. But we can go in and we can change those parameters so we can make that tip over sensor. We can disable it. We can change the time duration to whatever you want. So if you're falling a lot, we can make that. I think I, <laughs> it hypothetically, no, just no, in you, case. Do not, do not go to Takamoto. Come to JimmyLewisOffRoad.com, and I will prevent. So that you won't tip over. I will prevent the falling over. I'll help you with that part of the equation. Then you don't need to have his tune. Either way, it'll be all all better. So hey, on on that note, we're gonna we're gonna shut this episode down. <laughs> We've been going a little bit too long, but before. Before hey, look at George. He's such a good guy. He put up your website. Your Thanks, website's George. up on the up on the thing. Hey, um, this may look familiar because you've seen it flashing up on the uh, the background screen. These are the uh, the fuck you, and I didn't say that is a mean thing. It's F A H Q um, uh, stickers for Nevada, the Nevada chapter. Evidently, I'm the um, I was uh, subjected to handing these things out, and you guys went riding with me today. And that's your fault, and because of that, you're gonna get. You're oh, gonna, thank you. You're gonna get one of these guys. The hell is so this fat. Wh- yeah, I've seen these guys around. What is yeah, this? Yeah, don't you? It's a bad. It's a good club with a bad name. So here's here's to you guys. It's just like a ride. Al, you don't get one yet. It's gonna. You're gonna have to come out and go riding with me. So yeah, you guys can have a sticker, uh, put it on your bike, take pictures of it, and now you're part of the club, well, even thanks. though you don't want to be in it. So uh, <laughs> hey. We're not happy until no, you're not happy. It says so right <laughs> on my computer. <laughs> so we're going to shut this sucker down. Uh, good seeing all you guys. Uh, uh, follow us on whatever social media platforms. Go check out dirtbiketest.com. Tech Talk is the code on uh, DDC. Uh, racing.net that's for your sprocket needs. Email me if you want to get some Kate Spars, buy some climb gear. Uh, we, we like, we like, like all of you and, uh, yeah. Thanks to Don Julio. <laughs> we'll, uh, see you out on the trail. Right, Mike? Go get some adventure. Yeah. Peace out. Cheers. Cheers.